0: Welcome to The Analysis, I'm Sharmini Piris, and I'll be right back with Professor Lorena Barbarina. As we watched the events leading up to the two rounds of presidential elections in Brazil, and then the inauguration of President Lula da Silva on January 1st, many of us wondered how long Lula will be able to fend off a political crisis or even a coup. This is given the very narrow margin of his electoral victory and the fact that supporters of the former President Bolsonaro happened to be very strategically embedded in the military, in the police, in Congress, the Supreme Court, and some critical states. So then, we were not surprised that a week after Lula's inauguration, former President Bolsonaro's supporters attacked the presidential palace, Congress, the Supreme Court, and ran havoc in Brasilia. Joining me now to discuss the recent political turmoil and the rise of the far right in Brazil is Lorena Barbarina. She is a professor of political science at the University of Sao Paulo. Lorena, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Lorena, as we watched the events unfolding in Brasilia on Sunday, as mobs attacked the presidential palace, Congress, and the Supreme Court, one just could not ignore the parallels to December 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Now, can you draw attention to the parallels that I'm referring to here and what your observations were?
1: Yes. So I think there's some similarities and there's some differences. And it's important to, to preface that, of course, Bolsonaro, uh, while he was in office, uh, watched the January 6th insurrection and, and learned it was a, a, it was a very effective theater for him to see. And, and he has been closely following a lot of Trump's actions. So what is different is that Bolsonaro was not physically present in Brasilia in the capital. At that moment, and Lula had already been inaugurated, which is different. Um, so this—that's one thing that's very strikingly different—is that the insurrection or the uh, what we are calling in Brazil terrorist attacks on these institutions—it happens when uh, the transition has already occurred, but on a Sunday. When legally, uh, or when those offices are not occupied physically by people working, and the buildings are being attacked, but physically no uh, government is not in operation. So it's a little bit different from January 6 in the sense that Congress wasn't in session, the Supreme Court wasn't in session, and the the equivalent of our White House wasn't also. It, it wasn't a regular work day; it was a Sunday. But it was the first week in office in a very rocky and very difficult transition. We have to remember that Bolsonaro did not hand over power to Lula. He left uh, on a diplomatic passport before the transition uh, could take place, the transition ceremony. Throughout his government, he stressed the, and he emphasized that the elections would be manipulated and that he, Questioned the legitimacy of elections, and when Lula uh, assumes power on power January first, that occurred in the context of assuming power with a very fragile electoral majority. As you noted, he won by fifty point nine percent of the vote. Congress, uh, many congressmen were were elected that support Bolsonaro, and we also have a strong military and police support uh, of Bolsonaro and several governors were also elected that, that support the president so he assumes power trying to construct a broad coalition cognizant of the opposition that exists to his election and trying to build consensus about the need to make a peaceful transition to uh, within within democracy given his electoral victory but also recognizing important forces of dissent And not only that, uh, throughout Brazil, not only in Brasilia, Bolsonaro supporters constructed encampments starting in November and December that were really well-staffed, well-organized encampments right near the military barracks. So there's already these mobilizations, those mobilizations grow in Brasilia to, uh, to have at least 40,000 people in the encampments in December before Lula uh, transitions. So there's already kind of an environment that's indicating that there's, an, there's interest in provoking the police, provoking the military, and creating instability that would uh, lead to the military wanting to intervene.
0: There are forty thousand 40,000 encampments are, are fairly large uh, in terms of preparation for any kind of resistance against Lula. Now, many people analyzing these events alluded to the fact that the role of the military and the police, you know, one um, uh, clip I saw said that the police were actually sitting on the sidelines, sipping on their coconuts and ignoring the mobsters that were attacking these democratic institutions in Brazil. What are your thoughts on that? So I think it's important. um, I've spoken with
1: a number of people who visited the encampments. When we talk about these encampments, it's important to, to underscore. They had electricity, they had generators, they had hospital many hospitals set up already. They had computers and offices working in these barracks, in these encampments near the barracks. Um, So you don't do that unless you have a lot of uh, people who are very experienced in logistics and financing. This is not some kind kind of like Boy Scout encampment that in the imaginary. People need to understand these are very well set up Camps that were very well organized and well uh, well set up, and they're right; they're situated near the barracks. But what's important to understand is that, as you were alluding, the security in Brasilia is managed by the state government because it's a federal district, and the governor of Brasilia is in charge of the policing in the in the federal district and provides security during the transition and to the government that's in office. The chief of police of Bolsonaro, who is, we have to remember, this is a person who, during the elections, mobilized and set up uh, inspections of buses to try to slow down voting in the in in the poorer parts of the northeast of Brazil, especially. So there was uh, sanctioned by the chief of bol- police of Bolsonaro. There was already, during the elections, a lot of activity by this chief of police. When Bolsonaro loses the election, the governor who governs in this federal district of Brasilia appoints this same police chief as the head of policing in the city. And that that already signals alarm bells because this is the police chief that's going to be in charge of the transition, in charge of ensuring security for the Lula government taking office. There's a bomb that goes off on December 26th in the airport as Brazilian... Uh, Brazilia is getting lots of influx of new, uh, new, newly appointed ministers and newly appointed elected uh, officials and different civil servants that are coming in to take over and start working on the transition. So there's a bomb that goes off. The chief of police is managing the security in a in a very adverse context, context not sharing a lot of information with the Lula government. And on top of that, you have these these kind of uh, very well-funded and organized uh, encampments in Brasilia, but in other other parts of Brazil. And as that happens, one, one of the things that we start to notice, and we know is that there's a huge mobilization in terms of the military and in terms of police forces of neglecting or, or indicating kind of a lackluster support for guaranteeing security during the transition. Um, and that includes the fact that during the, the naming of, the, of his staff, Lula tries to, to negotiate with the military by ne- naming into the military uh, establishments the generals that are the, the ones who have seniority and not someone who's trusted by Lula. So as a way to compromise, Lula, understanding this very difficult political context, tries to strike a compromise by saying, I will cede and let the key posts in the military be named by who has more senior uh, seniority and not who's by who's more trusted by me. So neither the chief of police, neither the key military posts are really people close to the newly elected administration. So it's a very, very difficult context. Just today, as we speak today, we have found documents because the Supreme Court ordered inspection of the former police chief of Brasilia's house, and they discovered documents that there was a three-page document actually outlining uh, an order that would be admitted that would be used to justify the illegitimacy of the elections and justify an, an intervention to not uh, allow the transition to take place. So we know that right now, what we know is not only were is there actual speeches made by these by these figures in in the military and in the police publicly and in social media decrying the legitimacy of the elections, not ensuring tra- uh, security during the transition period. But there's actual and now physical evidence that they had written documents to plan how they would precisely decree the non-legitimacy of the election. So we know that this isn't some theoretical conspiracy theory we have. There's actual evidence that they spent a lot of time working on the documents that would legitimize intervening and not transitioning power to who was democratically elected.
0: Now, a lot of analysts uh, looking at this situation knew that Lula really needed to get the military and the police under his wing uh, in order to maintain stability once he took office. Um, so these were really critical. Uh, appointments. And it's interesting that you focus in on that particular issue. Given all of this, how do you think Lula responded to the uh, attacks and the unrest? And do you think it was proportional? And will it dis- discourage further attacks on his presidency?
1: So I think Lula, Lula was not physically in present in Brasilia during the attacks. He was in Sao Paulo on official business. He flew in that evening into Brasilia, but before flying in, he quickly mobilized and and was really effective in calling all of the governors of the 26 states of Brazil, calling his cabinet, uh, declaring in this case specifically of the federal district, removing the the chief of police from being in charge of security so kind of getting uh the legitimacy ready for for first taking back these government offices getting the police to be under uh a, a supervisor, kind of an independent supervisor that came from the Ministry of Justice, that would supervise the 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 state government of Brasilia, ensuring more transparency and and more uh, oversight over the of what was happening in the takeover back of these buildings. But I think what was really important is he made really a strong effort to build a coalition that in taking back and going back to brazil brazil him physically he would go with the 26 governors so he would go with the 26 governors many of whom were uh, not did not support him and supported bolsonaro during the elections and the idea was to signal that we believe in democracy we we believe in the rule of law, and we believe that also these people need to be prosecuted for the the violent acts that they're committing. And we need we have strong consensus in Brazilian uh, institutions about the way forward. And I think in that case, in this case, I think Lula came out very successfully. This in this really strengthened his position, strengthened the conversation that he's having with the opposition in terms of understanding that we really need to think about a way to cooperate more uh, in a very polarized context, but that we can't allow the situation to become as violent as it has in Brazil as we saw on Sunday.
0: Now, uh, Lorna, many people have accused Bolsonaro and his supporters of drawing act and verse from the Trump playbook. As we speak, Bolsonaro is in the US, and uh, on arrival, he went to Mar-a-Lago, and uh, that's in Florida where Trump uh, lives. And uh, we also know that... uh, He's hospitalized at the moment with some stomach pains. But we also know that Steve Bannon, the far right mastermind of the Trump presidency, has been commenting on Bolsonaro's supporters uh, as if they were some sort of freedom fighters um, on Twitter and in his commentaries. Uh, some media has picked up on this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So I think this is
1: really important to. To point out the geopolitics of this, right? From from, it, it is really controversial. To, if we think about the equivalent of what was happening in the U.S., imagine if when all of this happened, Trump fled to the U.K. and from the U.K., all of a sudden had people traveling back and forth from the U.S. to the U.K. Maybe taking funds, maybe um, taking back secret intelligence, maybe doing other types of things internationally that are fueling attacks in in Washington D.C. That's the, the the right now the difficulty for the U.S. and Brazil in this moment for us to think about is you have the president who left on a diplomatic passport who is now no longer in office, so doesn't have. The legitimacy to be in the U.S. under a diplomatic uh, passport, receiving uh, visits from supporters from Brazil, returning back to Brasilia. Some these supporters are have been seen during the protests, have been seen uh, in in some of these things. And you have, we know, Bolsonaro and his sons, his family, met over eighty times with Steve Bannon. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of issues at this raise of, of discomfort, right? We have a long history of the U.S. intervening in Latin America. The U.S. needs to send out a message about the support for democracy and how strongly it's willing to support democracy in the region. And that includes uh, monitoring when we have authoritarian tendencies and evidence, as we have in the case of Brazil, and these leaders exile themselves to the U.S., how the U.S. monitors what they're doing in the U.S. and what uh, funds or what other operations are occurring that might be, would be, if, the, if it was in the case of the U.S., this would be treated as something very diplomatically that we would be raising with with uh, authorities and foreign governments and expressing our discomfort about this issue. So I think it's a really difficult issue for the U.S. right now is why is Bolsonaro allow you know being allowed to kind of do uh, and operate in in the u.s in a context that the same actions the same type of, of activities would be consort would be considered violations of u.s sovereignty if the us had was was witnessing similar things Trump in a foreign country doing similar actions um, so it's a very difficult and uncomfortable uncomfortable situation for the us and i think for latin america we look at right now we look we're looking at the biden administration and asking a little bit um you know we want to see kind of goodwill and we want to build confidence in the transition in brazil that requires regional support for for the lula government that goes beyond just lip service of sending out tweets saying you know Transition needs to go forward in Brazil. It requires concrete actions. If there is financial transactions from the Bolsonaro government of funds being sent to Brazil, those need to be investigated. Um, some of the the leaders in Brazil in the opposition are already talking about. There's if this is if there is evidence of these types of things, this is the type of activity that needs to be. His account bank accounts need to be frozen in the U.S. Those activities need to be investigated for if they're financing terrorism.
0: Let's uh, pause for a moment and look back on Brazilian history. Now, one of the reasons that this rise of the far right in Brazil and its connections internationally is so alarming is because of really the very real history of Brazil and the military dictatorship. uh, uh, of the past in Brazil, um, take us back. You know what? Um, uh, uh, I guess alarm bells goes off in your uh, knowledge of political history and its alliance to the dictatorship um, in, of the past in Brazil.
1: So I think that there's there's two things that I think are very important to stress. First. Uh, Bolsonaro and the rise of the right is nothing new, right? We know throughout the lo- the history of Brazil, the right uh, and and first the oligarchy and then elites and and authoritarian elites govern the military. That we have a strong history of the military governing in Brazil for long a long period of time, and the right. Uh, in during the transition to democracy in Brazil, unlike Argentina, for example, negotiated to have impunity, to not be punished. For there was never trials in the case of Brazil of the military government and their activities. There wasn't the type of transition transitional justice that we saw in other countries. And as a result, many of the People who we're speaking about right now in the in the Bolsonaro government, who have been active and who have been supporting the questioning of the elections, are military who have roots in authoritarian rule in Brazil prior to to the transition to democracy. So we have learned to coexist with the right in Brazil, but the the right uh, has a long history in Brazil and a. Uh, a long history of also having to manage, trying to navigate democracy with the right. And that means that Lula, when we think about Lula's first presidency, he names uh, a president from the right to govern as his vice president, because there's this idea that, and it's very necessary that as someone from more prog- a more progressive political party gets elected, he needs to bring the right along to ensure the legitimacy of having the left govern in Brazil. And so I think we have a long history of compromising and working together across ideological extreme views. What's different in this moment, and I think is important, is that the right has become much more propensed to undertake violent actions to intimidate voters, to intimidate and impede uh, due process, and to lie, uh, in, in fact, in order to to put people in jail, is to that extreme, in order to ensure to secure power. So the right is becoming really well um comfortable with manipulating democratic processes in order to secure power. And that what makes it difficult for us in Brazil in this moment, is that it's a very difficult conversation to have. We want to preserve democracy. We want to improve, preserve the institutions. We want corruption to be investigated. We want judges uh, to do the right thing and to kind of judge when when people cr- commit criminal acts. But at the same time, um, we also know that, that the military and the police and the right are not playing by the same rules necessarily, and they're manipulating information. They're lying, um, and afterwards, we find evidence to show that there's actual misinformation or disinformation and lies being used when actually The evidence is showing, no, there was actually, as we're just talking about now on on December, on January 8th, they actually did have the document ready. It just so happened that it wasn't as successful of an attack as they wanted, but the documents were ready to decree and and not recognize the legitimacy of the election. And that's been something that uh, it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of di- discussions and agreement for you to, to get to the point that you have that type of consensus to actually bar the transition of a, someone who's democratically elected. So it's, we have a very difficult situation, but nothing new. Um, I think that's important to stress. The right has always existed in Brazil.
0: Lorena, uh, let's uh, take this up as our final point. Um, the legislative type are becoming somewhat trendy, and we know that Latin America is really the laboratory of the U.S. empire, and, uh, and that um, previously, when uh, Lula was accused of corruption and Judge Morrow took up his case. And uh, not all, and he was imprisoned, um, and and then of course uh, Lula, um, a handpicked uh, a successor, Dilma Rousseff was also um, impeached, and uh, so these type of legislative coups are becoming. Uh, more common, at least in, in Brazil, they've tested the ground. Um, how much of a hand do you think external forces have in terms of what's going on in Brazil? And what is it we need to be uh, uh, alerted to and aware of? I think one thing that's really important
1: that we're debating a lot uh, at the moment in Brazil is about judicial activism. You alluded to to Judge Moro. Um, who launched the investigations in Lula and was responsible for prosecuting him. Um, and later he was exonerated for the charges that put him in jail because the evidence was actually proved to be not sufficient and the allegations didn't hold. Um, so I think now, similarly, in the January 8th uprising, there's been very important actions that took place by the by the Supreme Court during the elections, the electoral courts were very important in, in terms of ensuring the security of the election and respect for the electoral electoral process. But the judiciary and the activeness of the judiciary to mediate political conflict in a democracy is something important for us to be reflecting on. Um, if we think about kind of, that's, that's something that on the one hand, judges are not, they're not elected, by they don't represent us Uh, and they're in office for a long time so when you have a society a democracy in which judges have a strong role and that role uh, it can be beneficial but it can also be very dangerous and I think that's one of the things that we're trying to grapple with in this moment is that because of judicial activism we've had many of the the bad things that have happened in Brazil politically and also some of the reasons that we've been able to get out of bad moments is because of judges and ju- the judicial process. But is that the way to deliberate correctly disagreement and political conflict in a democratic society? Or is it something that we need to work through elections, through legislative debate, through the passing of laws, through the vetoing or The rejection of of what is passed in the legislature, and I think there's a there's a lot of room for that in this moment to to be debating, is the place the people who oppose Lula, the best place for them to do that is in Congress through laws, Um, and. At the same time, for the people who support Lula and who want change, the best place for us to ensure that he's able to govern is by getting a Congress that's more representative of the types of policy reforms we want to see. Um, And I think that actually I'm more hopeful or I actually think that the senate and strengthening congress in this moment it would be something beneficial because it's something transparently we can monitor we can ha- we have oversight about what how a law is is being deliberated what is the actual vote what are the implications of the law whereas a lot of the judicial interpretations of the law can be really questionable, as we've seen in Brazil. Uh, evidence can be fabricated. A judge can read what he wants into the evidence, cite specific evidence and ignore the rest of the evidence. Uh, and it takes many, many years to, often to overturn a judicial decision. So I think I, I'm more hopeful about co- the role of Congress and the executive and strengthening those institutions and more worried about uh, the role of the judiciary.
0: All right, Lorena. Let's leave it there. Um, I've been speaking with Professor Lorena Barbarina, and she uh, is coming to us from the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. And Lorena, we will definitely continue this conversation moving forward. I thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And thank you for joining us here on The Analysis.